If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Lord willing, next week we'll finish up our thoughts on the model prayer, praying Jesus' way. But I've been thinking about with Memorial Day that's coming up, I've been thinking about memorials all week. And I, I normally don't take non-religious holidays and, and talk about them on Sunday, but I got to thinking about memorials and Memorial Day. It's kind of been on my heart this week, so I, I ran across this passage in Scripture that I kind of wanted us to go over and, and make a couple of applications. It's good to be back. Uh, we missed you guys last week. Uh, Marie and I went to uh, First Baptist Pigeon Forge last week and worshiped with them, and Last week was Pentecost Sunday, which is the Sunday that, that Pentecost is celebrated, and they had a guest speaker. They had a Messianic Jew that talked quite a bit about the uh, significance of Pentecost to the Jews and how it applies to us as Christians. It was really a terrific, uh, a terrific message. We uh, were supposed to be back at 3:30 to uh, hear or to go to an anniversary celebration for. Sydney and Margaret, we ended up being about an hour late for that because the speaker went over time, but we didn't want to leave. We wanted to hear finish what he had to say, so it was a really good a really good message, and so I was blessed. It was good to get fed, but it's good to be back with you all here this morning as well. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. <laughs> now this is the commandment, and those and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, and you, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the God, Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you Walk by the way when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This particular passage was written to the Jews uh, by Moses as they were getting ready to go into, uh, cross over the Jordan River and go into the Promised Land. Uh, they had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Remember, Moses originally gave the law in the book of Exodus, and that's where the Ten Commandments and the law was found. But that generation to whom the law was given has passed away. They've died in the wilderness, and a young generation is getting ready to go into the land. And so God re-gives the law in the book of Deuteronomy, and, and God here says, I want you to remember my laws and my ways and keep them in your hearts and keep them in your mind so that you and your sons and your grandsons, you can leave a legacy so you can leave a memorial. During the 1600s, there was an emperor in India 
by the name of Shah Jahan. He was believed to have been descended from Genghis Khan. And sometime during his reign, a group from southern India rebelled against him, and so he led an army to defeat them. And in his entourage was his beloved wife, who was pregnant with their 14th child. Unfortunately, she died while giving birth, and the emperor was overwhelmed with grief. He locked himself in his quarters where he stayed for three days. In fact, he kept the doors locked for a total of nine days. When he emerged from his room, his raven black hair had turned white, and his heart was filled with a dream. He would build two memorials. One would be a tomb made of white marble for his wife's body. The other would be a black marble to be used for his burial chambers. By the way, he never finished his burial chamber. The construction of her tomb required 22,000 men and women to work 24 hours a day for 22 years. It was built of white marble. It was decorated with 28 different kinds of gems. Would anybody like to take a guess as to what the name of that memorial is? Taj Mahal, that's exactly right. Brother Dexter gets the cookie. If we were giving out cookies, he'd give the cookie. It was the Taj Mahal. The Taj Mahal is one of the most famous memorials in the world, and it's a memorial to death. The Shah didn't build it while his life, wife lived. He built it while when she died. And, and that's the way that it often is with memorials. We, we build a memorial to help us remember someone or some event in the past, and a memorial is something that's built to help us to remember. And here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God tells Moses to instruct the people that they need to remember. They need to remember something. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 we read, God said, These commandments I give to you to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you're at home. Talk about them when you walk along the road. Talk about them when you lie down. Talk about them when you get up. God was saying, I want you to build a memorial for your family. I want you to help remember the commandments that I'm giving to you today. In verses 8 and 9, he says, Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. God says, build a memorial in your family for my word. Now the people of Israel eventually took this command very, very literally. They actually tied his words to their heads and uh, to their hands and to their foreheads. They wrote them on their door frames. They created little boxes called phylacteries uh, that they tied to their foreheads and arms. Even Orthodox Jews today still wear their phylacteries that have scriptures written uh, so they can have them on their foreheads and on their arms. And they also bought, uh, built a different kind of a box called a bazua that they nail to their door frames. And Orthodox Jews are expected to touch the bazua as they enter and as they leave their homes. Now you know what? At first blush, that seems like a pretty good idea. It seems pretty innocent. It's there to help them remember uh, what they're supposed to remember and to help them be reminded of their commitment to God's laws. Sort of similar to what would Jesus do, WWJD, for 
bracelets or bumper stickers. In and of themselves, it may be innocent. But the problem was that many Israelites ended up forgetting about the law of the Lord, and they began to put their faith in their little boxes. Uh, none of the boxes were large enough to hold all of God's law. The Mazuas hold Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 8, and Deuteronomy 11, 18 to 21. Pretty much what we've read today, that's called the Shema law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's the first scripture that Jewish children are taught to memorize. And that's a good scripture. It's a scripture that they should remember. Uh, the, the problem was, the faithful Jews in Israel got to the point where they worried more about the box than they did about the contents. They worried more about whether their box was okay than whether or not they knew what was in the box. One of the books that I read while I was researching said that the Missoula picture was to be mounted only on the right post of the door. And it was to be slanted so the top is pointed to the inside of the room. And it should be affixed to each room in the house except for the back room. Uh, and then finally, its contents must be examined by a reliable scribe at least twice every seven years to make sure that the ink isn't beginning to fade. And if any of those things aren't done just right, then the blessings that God promised in this passage would not come to pass. The blessings would be nullified. In other words, if you don't do it right, God won't like you very much, and he won't bless you. There's something seriously wrong with that theology, isn't it? That doing earns God's love and doing earns God's favor. Aside from the fact that this isn't what God said, this kind of practice puts an unhealthy focus on a man-made box. Carried to the extremes, these boxes can be memorials, not to God's living words, but to a dead faith. What do I mean by that? People can become so focused on their little boxes that they might feel that as long as they touch their little box and they perform their religious ritual, then they could. it's okay to be hateful toward other people. It's okay to lie to their friends. It's okay to cheat on their spouses. It's okay to be filled with lust and bitterness as long as you touch that little box and have your little box, you feel like you've fulfilled your religious obligations and thus the little box becomes a memorial to a dead faith. And we think to ourselves, silly Jews. Unfortunately, there are people in churches today that do the same thing. Now, granted, we don't have little boxes. But we touch holy objects we think of as holy. Or we light candles for certain reasons. And, and we feel that this substitutes for lives of holiness and righteousness. Yet we think to ourselves, oh silly Christians, we don't, that couldn't happen to us. We couldn't do that. Let me tell you what, this is a danger for all of us. It's a danger for me. It's a danger for you. There are many Christians who put their faith inside of a little box. It doesn't have to be a literal box. It can be a religious practice that cancels out bad behavior. I read this illustration this week. Pretty cool. I like it. It said that if you eat a Snickers bar, Snickers candy bar, that's full of calories, but you drink a Diet Coke that doesn't have any calories, 
Drinking the no calories of the Diet Coke cancels out the calories of the Snickers. I don't know about you, but I like that. I want that to be true. Unfortunately, it's not. But the same illustration goes on to say this. There are many Christians who reason that way about their faith. Telling lies is canceled out by attending church. Being a rebellious wife can be balanced out by teaching Sunday school. If you abuse your wife, you can make up for that by faithfully attending on Wednesday night. If you have sex outside of marriage, you can make a sizable donation to the church and everything will be all right. Gossip is canceled when you give a check to the missionary. When you refuse to forgive an enemy, you can cancel that out by being kind to the poor. <laughs> if you hate someone who's done you wrong, you cancel that out by loving Jesus. Or if you're a mean-spirited and critical person, you can cancel that out by listening to Way FM or gospel music. Isn't that silly? But we have people that believe just that. They believe that if they come to church or if they put their money in the collection plate or if they read their Bible or if they say a ritual prayer that everything's just fine with God and they can live however they want to. They'll put their faith in their little boxes and every once in a while they'll touch their little box to assure themselves of being religious. But in the meantime, their lifestyle, their language, their actions, their dress dishonor the very Jesus they claim to love. They too build memorials to a dead faith and not to a living God. You know, people think that all my family needs is church. I just got to make sure they go to church on Sunday. But God tells us here in Deuteronomy 6 that that's just not true. God is telling his people in our passage today that he wants them to build in their hearts and in their children's hearts and in their grandchildren's hearts a living faith. He doesn't want it to be just a Sabbath day faith or a Sunday faith. He wants it to be a seven day a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year type of faith. Deuteronomy 6-7 says, Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. He's telling them it's not about the box. He says, make your faith a real thing that is part of everything you do. Incorporate it into your life when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Carry your faith with you everywhere you go. God told Israel they were to fix his commandments to their hands and foreheads. He didn't mean literally they should attach it to their hands and foreheads. He meant that they should make their faith so obvious that as they walked by people, they could tell they were God-fearers and they were God-lovers and they, their faith, they wore their faith on the outside so that everyone can see them. God told them they should write his commandments on their door frames and, and gates. God wasn't telling them to get out a Sharpie and write all over the door frames and write all over the gates. God was telling them that they should make their faith so obvious that when someone came into their house, 
it, there was no doubt that that person was a God worshiper. That person loved God. That person worshiped God. God was forefront on their hearts and in their minds. The problem for too many Christians is they don't live that way either. They put in their time on Sunday morning. They go through their religious rituals. We talked about this in our Sunday school this morning. They come to church. They sing songs. They read a scripture. They shake hands with the preacher. They put money in the collection plate. Maybe they teach a Sunday school class. Maybe they drive a church van. Maybe they sing in a choir or the praise team. But that's it. That's as far as it goes. They think, well, that's enough to get me and my family through the week. Y'all, Sunday morning church isn't near enough for us, our children, or our grandchildren. I read a report by AOL Time Warner that tells us the average child under the age of three is exposed to 700 commercials a week. And the average 12-year-old spends four hours a day watching TV. Now that's dated. That was in the early 2000s. That's not taking into account what they see on music videos, what they see on the Internet. Uh, you can't watch a football game on YouTube without there being interrupted every four or five minutes with commercials. That's just a small snapshot of what our kids are exposed to today. Then they go to school and are taught in school about evolution and about very anti-God. The very things we try to instill into our children on Sunday, the school system's trying to take out of them Monday through Friday. Now you may or may not be able to totally influence what your children or your grandchildren watch on TV or what they, what they watch on the internet. But what you can do is you can be sure that when your children and when your grandchildren are with you, they are exposed to God. That you read to them God's word. You read to them God's commandments. I remember, and I, I couldn't have been very old. I don't know how I was, but we decided to go on a family vacation on Sunday, on vacation. And Sunday, we were on vacation. And there wasn't a church nearby where we were, so we were going fishing, and we were out on our fishing boat in the middle of the lake, and I remember my mama was reading scripture to us on that Sunday morning. And we said, Mom, we're trying to fish. My mom said, this is Sunday morning, and you're going to hear God's word. I believe she could pitch us overboard <laughs> if we hadn't paid attention. And at the time, I thought my mom was being silly, but you know what now? At 57 year, years old, I pray my mom is blessed because of what she instilled in her children. And she does the same thing to her grandchildren. We can't control, when our kids aren't with us, we don't can't control their teachers. And to an extent, we can't control what they're being taught unless we would stand up and say, this school system doesn't need to do that. But we can control what we teach our children while they are with us. One night at the pizza parlor, a family decided to use the minutes waiting for their food as a teaching game. 
they passed out an index card and a pencil to each child. And they had them write down a new memory verse, Colossians 3.23, that says, Whatever you do, work with it, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Then they said, let's all watch this waitress and see what kind of worker she is. Do you think she's working with all her heart? The kids never took their eyes off that waitress. They half-whispered their comments. She sure is nice about bringing extra napkins. She has to stand up all the time and she's not grouchy. She's very patient with that other child that's at that table that's being unruly. That waitress never knew she was being watched. But by the end of the meal, the children not only had the scripture nailed down, but they knew what it meant as well. That was a wise family, was it not? That was creative, that was inventive. To put the word of God, they wrote it down so they remember it. And then they looked at, well, what exactly does that mean? Now understand this, I'm not saying the church isn't important. Church life is critical. Coming to church on Sundays is critical. It's that shot in the arm that gives us that boost that we need to go out into the world and live every day. But y'all, we can't put the souls of our children and our grandchildren solely in the hands of the church in the hands of pastors and Sunday school teachers. We try. And we're going to do our best to set a good example. But there's just not enough of us to go around. Amen? Your children and your grandchildren need you to tell them about God. They need you to show them about God. When children fill this place, y'all, if you don't have your kids and grandkids with you, Spill and teach these other kids and grandkids. Adopt a kid and a grandkid. Amen? Our kids' futures depend on that. Our kids' spirituality in the future depend on that. We can't put our family's faith in somebody else's hands. You know what? It's pretty easy to blame the church when the church lets us down if that's where we put our faith. We say, well, the reason my kids turned out that way is because of the church. You know, it may partially be true, but that's not the whole story. Strong, a strong faith passed on from parents to children and grandchildren can overcome a lot of disappointments from church. Amen? Two more examples, and I'm going to hush. Back in the 1800s, there was a young man who had a profound sense of of admiration for his father. His father saw to it that the life of his family was spent and it revolved around the religious practices of their Jewish faith. In his teen years, however, the boys were, the, the family was forced to move to another part of Germany. And life in that community revolved around the Lutheran church. All the best people belonged to the Lutheran church. So the father announced to the family that they were going to quit being Jews and they were now going to be Lutherans. When the son family asked why, the father explained that it would be good for his business. The youngster was bewildered and confused and his deep disappointment soon gave way to anger and a kind of intense bitterness that plagued him throughout his life. He became a parasite on society. 
He became a heavy drinker, an adulterer. He didn't even go to his wife's funeral. And two of his children committed suicide. He himself died in bankruptcy and in despair. He accomplished nothing of lasting significance with his life except for one book that he wrote. The name of that book is Das Kapital. In it, he declared that religion is the opiate of the people. Can anybody guess who this man was? Karl Marx. And his book, Das Kapital, became the foundation of communism and socialism. And it's destroyed thousands of lives throughout the world. In contrast to that, I read about a small boy who was constantly late coming home to work, or coming home from school, rather. His parents warned him that he needed to be on time, or he was going to get into trouble. But nevertheless, he got home that afternoon later than ever. His mother met him at the door and said nothing. His father met him in the living room and said nothing. At dinner that night, the boy looked at his plate. There was a slice of bread and a glass of water. He looked at his father's full plate and then at his father, but his father remained silent. The boy was crushed. The father waited for the full impact to sink in. Then quietly, he took his own plate of meat and potatoes. He put it in front of the boy and he smiled. When that boy grew up to be a man, he said, all my life I've known what God is like by what my father did for me that night. As we wrap up this lesson, I've got a couple of questions for you. What kind of faith are you building in yourself and in your family? What kind of memorial or legacy are you leaving? When you are dead and gone, what are your children and your grandchildren going to say about you? Do we all realize that we're writing our own eulogy as we live our life? A preacher friend of mine said, told his church, said, y'all want to live right, but you don't want to make the preacher lie at your funeral. What kind of legacy are we leaving? What kind of memorial are we building that our children and our grandchildren can remember? Is your faith is it based on dead traditions? Stuff going on down there at the church? Or is your faith built on a relationship, a living, vibrant, healthy relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Brother Roger, if you'll come on up, Miss Mary, if you'll come on up, we're going to have an invitation song. And as we have this invitation time, this is just a time for reflection. It's a time for you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what's your relationship with God like. And when you ask the Holy Spirit to do that, be prepared for the Holy Spirit to answer. And also be prepared for the fact that you might not like what it is the Holy Spirit reveals. 
You might be surprised, but did you know as a Christian, the Holy Spirit living in us, the sole purpose of him living in us is to make us more like Jesus. And he can't do that until we surrender ourselves to him. So I pray that you would surrender yourself this morning. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what you need to fix in your life, what adjustments you need to make. Because you know the great thing about God? is that you can always start over. You can always begin again. You don't have to say, well, I've just gone so far I can't get back. God's grace doesn't work that way. God's arms are much stronger, longer than your sin. God longs to wrap his arms around you this morning and pull you close and pull you back home. Why not start building a living legacy for yourself? for your children and for your grandchildren today. Let's bow. Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. I just pray that we don't take his sacrifice for granted. But I pray every day that you would put in us a fresh renewal of who we are and to whom we belong and to what we have as your children. Father, I pray that if there's anyone in our audience today who is out of your will, I pray that you would reveal to them what it is they need to do to get back in fellowship with you. And I pray that you would start helping each of us have the attitude and the mindset that we are building a legacy. And I pray that we would build that memorial and that legacy on your word and on our relationship to you through Jesus Christ. Forgive us, forgive us of our sins, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.